friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. ready to wrap up our series on the book of Philippians. Today will be our last sermon on the book of Philippians. So I'd like to invite you to please rise from your seats, and I'd like us to take a look at the ending verses, Philippians 4, verses 20 to 23, please. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we marvel at your goodness, your love, and your faithfulness in our lives, O God. And we know that we have been preserved, we have been sustained by your loving kindness, and by your faithfulness that continually surrounds our lives. And so we submit ourselves to you this morning for worship. Our desire is to bring glory and honor to your holy name. Our desire is that our hearts would be knitted together with your heart so that we may feel your heartbeat, that we might feel your passion. And we trust, O oh God, that You will use me, your servant, anoint my lips of clay, so that as I speak, O Lord, I will speak only your words, and that I might speak it in all boldness and all courage. And I pray, Father, that you will prepare our hearts for the Word of God, so that as it is preached to us, Lord, we will submit to you, we will yield to the Holy Spirit, and we will allow our lives to be transformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Christian's Earthly Life. Now, as we took a look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 20 to 23, we're probably thinking, what can I possibly get out of Philippians 4, 20 to 23. And perhaps we're thinking that there's really nothing much that we can derive or glean from Philippians 4, 20 to 23. But I would like to disprove that thought because you and I will be able to see how rich the Bible is, how rich the lessons in the Bible, even though we might have some very simple verses of Scripture They actually teach us very deep theological truth. And my hope is that as we unpack these things to us this morning, we might see the relevance of these verses and we might see how we are to conduct ourselves in this earthly life that God has given to us. Let me remind you, we are not yet in heaven. We're waiting for that time wherein God will promote us and bring us to Himself and bring us to that perfect place which we call heaven. 
But as of now, as of yet, we are still here on earth. And most definitely, God has laid out certain purposes for us so that you and I might become salt and light into this world. And so there are three things that I actually see here that should characterize our Christian lives on earth. So first of all, we find our purpose, which is worship. And that's what you and I see in verse 20. And then we will also take a look at our relationship with the saints. And this is found in verses 21 and 22. And then finally, we will see our daily need, which is the grace of God, which we find in verse 23. So please remind yourselves of these three things, our purpose, which is worship, number two, our relationship with the saints, and then our daily need, which is the grace of God. So let's begin right now with a discussion on our purpose, which is worship, and this is found in verse 20. Allow me to read this once again for us. It says, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now as we take a look at the parting words of Paul, we notice that Paul did not want to end this particular book or this particular letter without bringing praise and glory and honor to God. And this is something that is very important for us believers in Christ. God has allowed us to remain here on earth for one very simple reason. It is that we might bring glory, honor, and worship to Him. And we should direct our lives into that purpose so that as we align ourselves with the purpose of God, we might be able to sense the abiding presence of God we might be able to sense the satisfaction that is brought about by abiding in Christ himself. Now again, Paul did not want to close the letter without glorifying God. The beginning, the middle, and the ending of whatever we do must always point to the glory of God. Let me remind us once again of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And it is not just the redemptive work that God does. He has blessed us with so many things. And that gives us the very reason why we should actually glorify and worship Him. Just for practical purposes, you know, I just had this realization in the United States of America. Of course, some of you know that if you drive the California freeway, there are a lot of accidents that actually take place in that area. Uh, at the very least, I think I saw four or about five major accidents in the freeway of California. And this is the reason why there are some people, it is actually safer, some people say it is actually safer to fly on a plane rather than drive your vehicle in the California freeway. I know for a fact that the son of Greg Laurie died in a car crash in the freeway. I know also of a well-known pastor from the Philippines who also died in a car crash again in the freeway, I think, in California. And so that just made me realize certain things because 
In our church there, the Bible studies are several miles apart. And I can also see the protection of God upon Pastor June and his family because they travel several miles just to go to a Bible study and preach and teach the Word of God. And I was thinking, Lord, how you protect your children. Because without God's protection, I don't think people would be preserved and would survive. See, people travel there uh, using their vehicles. They travel at something like from 65 miles per hour to about 100, even more than 100 miles per hour. Now, that's not KPH. That is MPH. So you multiply MPH times 1.6. So if you're traveling at 100 miles per hour, that's something like 160 miles per hour. If you go over that, you could probably drive at maybe 180 kph. Now, some of our vehicles, when you drive at 100 kph, your vehicle starts to shake already. Just imagine driving at 160, 180 kilometers per hour. It could be disastrous. And so, these realizations just made me thank God and worship Him for His protection and preservation of our lives. And sometimes this is something that we take for granted as people of God. We take for granted the fact that God protects us, preserves us, provides food for us on the table, gives us a job, gives us a wonderful family. All these things have been given to us as a matter of grace. So it's not just redemption. Every single day of our lives, there is really an outpouring of God's goodness, God's grace, God's favor, God's loving kindness, God's faithfulness in our lives. And that is why the least that we can actually do is respond to Him in worship. And this is the reason why God created us. This is the reason why God redeemed us, that we might worship Him. So that in whatever we do, it must actually be accompanied with the worship and the exaltation of God. This should be our life's mission. How can I glorify God in my life? How can I worship Him in my life? And this is not just on Sunday because we might be thinking that when we do sing songs on on Sunday morning, that's worship. Well, let me just tell you that the kind of worship that is being described here is a lifestyle. It's not just singing songs on Sunday. The phrase here, be the glory forever and ever, indicates that our entire lives, listen well, our entire lives, as well as that of eternity, must be devoted to the worship of God. It's not just in heaven that you and I will be worshiping. Every single day of our lives must be devoted and dedicated to worship. Now, the question is, how do we do that? Well, we do that by having our minds occupied with God Himself. And every single day when we wake up, we should be thinking, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I glorify you today? How can I honor you today? When I go to my office, as I relate to my office mates, as I relate to my boss, how can I glorify you? Well, there are so many ways wherein we can do that. 
We can submit to our boss and we can respond by working really hard, by excelling in what we do. And when people begin to notice that, they'll probably wonder, what is your driving motivation? And of course, we can say, well, I'm doing this not for the company itself. I'm not just doing this for my boss. I'm doing this for God. Because my God is an excellent God, and I want to be able to excel in what I do. And the same thing could be done by students, by being honest, by not cheating in the exams. And people will probably wonder, why are you doing that? Everybody else is cheating. Everybody else is copying answers from, from somebody else. Why be honest and take the risk of maybe failing your exam? And there you can be a witness. You can actually testify that the reason why you're doing that is because God is watching you. And you want to please Him. You want to glorify Him. You want to honor Him. And that's the reason why you want to be honest and a person of integrity. And so we can multiply that exponentially every single day of our lives. There are ways whereby we can glorify God in our driving. As we go to our offices, we come in not late, but we come in early. We are actually testifying to the new life that God has given to us. And these are grand opportunities for us to be able to worship the Lord. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, this is a defining verse of Scripture. And I believe that every Christian should not take this passage lightly. I believe this verse should be our life verse as well. And it states here, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, some people might take this figuratively and might not, might not take this quite seriously, but I believe that when Paul wrote this down, I believe that he intended for this particular passage to be interpreted and applied literally in our lives. And by literally, I mean that he is really saying to us that in whatever we do, we're actually to do it all for the glory of God. So we can talk about washing dishes or doing laundry, and you're doing it not simply to clean up your clothes. You're doing it because you love God, because you are worshiping Him. And you know, when you do that, by the way, the abiding presence of God just comes upon you, and your mind gets occupied with God, and your life begins to be so much lighter. And then you receive the promised peace of God in your life. And when you do certain things, it is no longer a burden to you, but it's something that you do joyfully. You actually enjoy. You're not just enduring certain things. You actually enjoy them. Why? Because you are offering it unto the Lord. Now, if you take a look at the list here, the most basic things that we do, the most basic activities that we do, like, for example, eating or drinking is still supposed to be all for the glory of God. So again, let me just make mention of the fact that we're supposed to apply this literally. So the question is, as we are eating, are we, in fact, glorifying God? And so you might say, why even involve eating? Because even in something as simple and as basic 
as eating, we can actually dishonor God. How? Well, we can dishonor God by being greedy. We can, we can be dishonoring God by being selfish, by not sharing our food to others. And this is exactly what happened in the case of the Corinthian church. Remember, I mentioned to you that they had this love feast wherein they celebrated the Lord's Supper and they brought uh, food, potluck. And the problem was the rich people came much earlier and they fed themselves to the full and they left very little and sometimes even nothing for the poor people. So you can notice here that even in the matter of eating, we can actually dishonor God. And that is why Paul intended this particular verse of Scripture to be interpreted literally. We are not to take it figuratively. Now, so far as drinking is concerned, we can also honor God. And let me just share to you a little uh, thought on this particular matter. A lot of people have asked me, whether I espouse drinking wine or drinking alcohol in church. And my thoughts on that would be this. I believe in, there are some people, there are Bible scholars who believe in moderation. And if that is their uh, point or if that is what their stand is, I respect that. But if you ask me my personal preference, my personal preference is abstention from wine and even alcohol. Now, this is not to say that people in Europe, people in Siberia, people in Russia who happen to be Christians are sinning against God when they drink alcohol or drink wine. You need to understand that in those countries, it is very, very cold. It is extremely cold such that wine to them serves as water, all right? So it is actually water to them. So it's not like I'm drinking because I'm socializing or I'm drinking because I'm experiencing some peer pressure from my friends. That is not the context of these countries which are extremely cold. But in our own country, we need to understand that the basic context is when you are drinking, it's basically socializing. And the truth of the matter is that when we drink, it is because of some peer pressure that we experience from our friends. So if we want to appear cool among our friends, if we want to appear as if we are chilling together with our friends, we want to have a drink with them. And of course, there is that inner lawyer in us that exonerates us and tells us that, well, I'm just doing this. I'm not really getting drunk. But you see, this is my way of just really appreciating my friends and having a social life. But this is where I'd like to challenge you to begin thinking not in a narrow way, but to think broadly. Because sometimes we only tend to think in terms of our own individual and personal conscience. But let me tell you that Paul introduced to us the concept, concept rather, of a community conscience. Now, what are we talking about when we speak about a community conscience? Now, the community conscience is determined 
by the setting that you find or the environment that you find in a particular locality. That is why if you ask me in so far as the Philippines is concerned, I think the best thing we need to do in so far as drinking is concerned is abstention. Because if we do not abstain, what would happen is that people would think that we are promoting drinking. People would tend to think that it is all right to have one drink or so. And you see, we need to be mindful. There are some people who have just been delivered by God from alcohol. They become Christians. Perhaps they were alcoholics before. They accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that they have given up is drinking alcohol or drinking wine. Do you know that when they see wine right before their very eyes, there is just that, that temptation that comes into their hearts. They're sweating. And they're thinking, I'd like to have a glass of wine. I'd like to have a glass of beer. By doing that, you're actually tempting them to go back to their old life. And here's where I need to tell you that we need to be concerned of other people. This is not just about us. And we might be thinking it's, you know, this is about me and my relationship with the Lord. That is the problem of modern-day Christianity. Modern-day Christianity has become so privatized, it's just you and me. It's just you, Lord, and me. It is never just you and me. We need to understand that God redeemed a community of believers. He redeemed a community of people, a company of people, which you and I belong to. Whether we realize it or not, we are connected with each other. And because we are connected with each, with each other, we are to be mindful of what benefit we can give, what blessing we can give to other people. It's not just what we can get or what we can receive. It's what we can offer to people. And so the point here is the main reason for our existence is to give glory to our God. That's the main purpose of our existence. Every single day that we wake up in the morning, I should be asking myself, what am I doing? What am I doing to honor God? What am I doing to glorify and worship God in my life? We need to be asking that most basic question. Here was Paul's desire for God, that God be glorified. That's what you and I want to happen, literally, the phrase here could be translated unto the ages of the ages, which speaks about an endless succession of indefinite periods. This too should be our desire. This too should be our life mission, that God be glorified, that God be honored, that God be worshipped. How I long and how you and I should long for the day when the mouths of people would utter, Jesus is Lord. How, sh how we should desire and long for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. How we should long for the day wherein the kingdom of God will be the kingdom that we find here on earth. As it is in heaven, so may it be as it is on earth. So friends, again, we need to be asking this question. What am I doing or what am I not doing? Because again, the purpose 
that we should have in mind is, Lord, your name needs to be glorified. Now, one of the elements of worship is thanksgiving. And it is something that we must do regardless of our situation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 states this, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we thank God for the good things that take place in our lives, and rightly so, we should. Every wonderful thing that happens to us is a blessing. The Bible is very clear that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light, so we should really be thankful for the nice and wonderful things that take place in our lives. But not only that, we should also thank God for our trials. We should thank God for the difficulties that come our way. We should even thank God for the testings that come our way, not only from events, not only from circumstances, but even from people. As our faith is tested, as our patience is tested, as our resolve is tested, as our determination is tested, these are grand opportunities for us to bless and thank God. And why should we do that? Because God is sovereign. Because God is watching over our lives 24-7. Because God intends good, the ultimate good in our lives. Romans 8, 28, again, something very basic to us. All things work together for good to them who love God and who are called according to His purpose. In the end, it's going to turn out good for us. In the end, we will become better people. In the end, we will become better husbands. In the end, we will become better wives. In the end, we will become better children. In the end, the goodness and the loving kindness of God will surround us like the mountains surround Jerusalem. God is going to do that every single day. And by the way, we're not just a face in the crowd as you might be tempted to think. You might see yourself as puny, tiny, little, insignificant, irrelevant to God. No, you're not. You are important. And we will get to that in a bit. And if only for that reason that God is watching over you, that God is with you continually, perpetually, we should be thanking God every single day of our lives. In the book, 450 Stories for Life, Gus Anderson, rather, tells about visiting a church in a farming community of eastern Alberta, Canada, where there had been eight years of drought. The farmers were deep in debt, and their economic situation looked hopeless. In spite of their poverty, however, many of them continued to meet together to worship God and praise Him. Anderson was especially impressed by the testimony of one of these farmers. Dressed in overalls and an old coat, the best clothes he had, in fact, the man stood up and quoted Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And with deep meaning, he said, quoting the verse, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Anderson thought that dear saint has found the secret of real joy. 
Actually, when we go through trials and difficulties, it is our opportunity to be able to say, Christ is enough for me. It is a grand opportunity for us to be, to be able to say, Lord, you alone complete me. You alone make me sufficient. You are my adequacy. You are my rock and you are my refuge. You are my salvation and you are my comfort. Every time we go through periods of darkness, it is our blessed opportunity to be able to declare that Christ is enough for me. It is really an issue of joy, isn't it? Where do you find your joy? Where do you find your satisfaction? Where do you find and derive your completeness and sufficiency in life? Where? Could you honestly say that Christ is my joy? And that's something that needs to happen. And it is my duty and my obligation as your pastor to remind you again and again the purpose laid aside by God for all of us. So again, our purpose is worship. And friends, let me tell you, if you're not worshiping God, you must be worshiping something else. Because the way God designed us is He designed us to worship. And that is why if you and I are not worshiping God, most definitely you're worshiping something else. You are providing adulation and admiration for things other than God. In the United Kingdom, for example, in big church buildings like this, you will find a handful of people, maybe four or five, maybe 20, mostly old people. Young people you will no longer find in church. Where are they? Well, they're in the football stadium. Because for them, they choose to worship football. For them, they choose to worship these athletes. And they pour out their hearts and they pour out their passions. Do you know that after a football game, riots take place? And you ask yourself the question, it's just a game. It's just football. Why are people dying for, for football? Why are they fighting? Why are they going into riots? It's because they have chosen to worship these athletes. athletes. They've chosen to worship football. They've chosen to worship the sport. And that is why they are putting all their energy and all their passion into that. They collect items of their idols. They collect uh, materials, magazines, and all sorts of things to feed that worship that is in their hearts. Worship is something we cannot escape. So if we are not worshiping God, we are worshiping something else. Well, let me tell you this. When you worship something other than God, it's going to tear up your life. Your life will become miserable. Your life will be a tragedy. It will be tragic. Because friends, as the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seems right unto man, but it is the way of death. 
We cannot drift away from the purposes of God. We cannot drift away from the way God has designed us. We are fools if we do that. As one coach says, sin makes us stupid. That's what it does. It makes us stupid. It makes us do foolish things. It makes us make wrong choices in life. And so if you want your life to be a wonderful life, a beautiful life, a blessed life, a good life, here's the beginning point. Our purpose, worship. It has to begin there. Now, as I mentioned to you, we cannot just talk about our relationship with God. God redeemed a community. That's why in this earthly life that God has given to us, we have a relationship, which brings us to our second point, our relationship with fellow saints. And this is what we find in verses 21 to 22. I'd like you to take note of every word that you find in this verse. Here it goes. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. I'd like you to notice something. It says we are saints. It says greet every saint in Christ Jesus. You and I know that in some sectors, you get considered as a saint when you've done exemplary deeds or you die because of your faith, so you become a candidate to being a saint. It's not even a sure thing that you would become a saint. It will take a religious institution to somehow say that you are a saint. But you see, I'd like to be able to say that that is not biblical at all. Because the only reason or the only way you can actually be a saint in God is if you are in Christ Jesus. Now, how does that happen? Very simply, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior in your life, you automatically become a saint in the Lord. Every believer is a saint because of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, let's remind ourselves that He was nailed because of our sins. Every single one of them. The wrath of God was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ because the justice of God needed to be served. The holiness of God required justice to be served. And if justice could not be served by a sacrifice without stain, without sin, without spot, we are left in a hopeless, dire situation, condemned and doomed to hell forever. And that is why there should be a greater appreciation of our Lord, Master, and Savior. Most especially if we take a look at the prophecies relating to Him in the book of Isaiah. Pronouns are very important. The pronoun used of the Lord Jesus Christ is the word or the pronoun I. I, I, I. Referring to Jesus' voluntary desire to offer himself as a sacrifice for people. Jesus was not pushed by the Father. 
Jesus was not forced by the Father to die on the cross for our sins. He volunteered. He wanted to make himself available for each one of us that he could provide redemption for us. And as he took on our sin in Calvary, what did he provide? He provided his own perfection and his own righteousness to us. That is why there's been a divine exchange. He gets our sin. We get his perfection and his righteousness. That's how you and I get saved. And I hope to God that we do appreciate what Christ has done for us. Because let me tell you this. When Christ died for us, He died and paid for our sins, past, present, and future. Even the sins that you do not know that you will commit, He has paid for them. You and I will sin tomorrow. You and I will sin next week and next month. And next year, we will show our unfaithfulness and our rebellion and our idolatry against God. But even that has not caused the Lord Jesus Christ to shrink away from volunteering Himself to die on the cross for our sins. Let me just remind you that Christ died for every single sin that we have committed against Him. Let me say it again. He died for every single sin that we have committed against Him. Have you ever lied? He died for that sin. Have you ever watched pornographic material? He died for that sin. Did you go out on a rage? Did you slap somebody? Did you kill? He died for that sin. Is there bitterness in your heart? Is there any grudge in your heart? He died for that sin. Every single moment of unfaithfulness, every time we deserted Him, denied Him, betrayed Him, He died for that as well. Every single sin. Every day we do sin against Him, don't we? And He died every single, for every single sin that we have committed. Shouldn't that cause us to love and praise our Savior? Shouldn't that cause an absolute surrender to the King and the Master of our lives? Pastor June shared to me the testimony of Paul Washer, how God saved him. He was studying to be a lawyer, but his life was so wretched. He was into all sorts of vices. And one morning, he woke up half naked, and he noticed something cold on his neck. He was wondering, what, what, what is this cold thing on my neck? So he went to the mirror to find out what was this cold thing that was covering his neck and his face. And he just realized it was his own vomit. Because he had been drinking so hard the previous day. 
testified that at times he would be so drunk he would vomit in his own pocket. And people have asked him, how is it that you are so passionate? How is it that you are so prayerful? Is it because of a verse that has touched your heart? And he said, no, you don't understand. Christ saved me. You know, one of the things that needs to happen is an understanding of the depths of grace that you and I have been showered upon. Every single day that we show unfaithfulness to God, every rebellious thought that you and I commit should bring about a realization how good and how gracious and how loving our Savior is. What is so wonderful here when Paul says, greet, he does not say, greet all the saints, which would have been all right, but that's not how he worded it. Notice how Paul worded it. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Every person is important to Christ. Every single one in this hall is important to Christ. Never ever think that you are so puny, so tiny, and so insignificant. That is not true. That's the lie of the evil one. God knows the hair on our head. He knows the number of it. He knows us by name. And that is why every believer is important to Christ because of the redemptive work of Christ at the cross. And since every believer is in Christ, we have a relationship with every believer, regardless of race, skin, color, nationality, gender, language, and status in life. And that is why, again, let me remind you, God did not just save individuals. He saved a community, a company of believers. And because of that, we should engage one another in this relationship, this common bond that you and I have. Paul and the brethren from Rome, because Paul was writing from Rome, right? So when he was saying, greet every saint, he was, he was talking about the saints in Philippi. And when he said, the brethren who are with me, he was talking about the Roman Christians who were with him. Now it's possible they did not know each other. Even then, they were still precious because they're family. And that's how we are supposed to treat one another. Sometimes, as we look at the horizon and see so many people in church fighting and quarreling with each other, not having good relationships with one another, it is very painful to the heart of God because we all belong to one body. We are family. Here we see that every believer was important to Paul with that phrase, greet every saint. This is God's theology. The theology of God is each believer is important to him. 
Could you say to your neighbor, you are important to God? Say it to your other neighbor, you are important to God. Not because you're worthy. Not because you are deserving. But because He saved and redeemed your soul. You are important to Him. And I, so here's my challenge to you. And you see, sometimes you probably wonder why is it that I always ask you to greet one another before I start the announcements? Or why did I ask you this morning to try to get to know a new person in church? It's because we're supposed to have meaningful relationships with each other. If we are going to be family in the real sense of the word, then we have got to be able to engage one another in real and meaningful relationships so that we become accountable to each other, so that we could pray for one another, so that we could instruct one another, so that we could affirm one another, so that we could love one another, so that we could build each other up. And that's why, friends, as I keep on mentioning, Sunday is not enough. If you come here once a week, praise God for that. I appreciate that. But let me tell you, it's not enough. You've got to involve yourself in the life of the community, the life of the church. You've got to be able to join small groups. Because only then will you begin to appreciate that every individual is important to God and is important for you as well. They will be the ones who will stand alongside you. Sometimes some people think that my wife and I are super spiritual such that we don't need encouragement, that we don't need comfort, we don't need prayers. On the contrary, we do need a lot of prayers. On the contrary, we do need a lot of encouragement. On the contrary, on contrary we do need a lot of comfort. On the contrary, we do need some validation. We need. We are people. And we too are needy people as well. And we have to come to that realization and begin to be involved. And, and here's my challenge before I left our church in Lakewood, California. I told them, invest in one life. Just one life. Invest in one life. Because sometimes that's not something that we are conscious about. And yet, the Bible speaks us and, and commands us, go and make disciples of all nations. It's not just enough that we evangelize, bring a person to the Lord. The Bible says you need to disciple that person. And I would like to challenge you right now. Think about one person right now whom you would like to disciple. Think about this one person you would like to invest your life in so that you can multiply yourself in that person's life. And as you multiply yourself in that person's life, maybe that person will be used to be a blessing. Maybe not just to one person, maybe to hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. That's what happens when, when you invest in one life. And the fact that Paul says, greet every saint in, as an implication, that's what he is really saying. Every life is important to him.
And that's why even if I'm just investing in one life, I am creating a powerful impact in that person's life, and that person will become different, radically different, and will be changed by the power of God. And by the way, the implication of this as well is that as we remember that God has placed us in the body for a specific purpose and calling because of the giftings, the talent, the resources that He has given to us, we need to become responsible to use whatever gifts, skills, talent, resources God has given to us for the greater glory of God and so that other believers might grow in Christ as well. Can I bring you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 to 27 at this time? It says here, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Again, the thought is the same. Every believer is important. Every gift that every believer has is important to him. And again, the question is, how are we functioning in the body of Christ? How are we using our gifts, our talents, our resources for the building up of the body of Christ? Let me just use a little exercise here this morning. Allow me, permit me to just use a little illustration. Here's a question I have for you. If you were made to choose one part of the human body, what would you like to be? Just for a moment, think about it. What would you like to be if you were made to choose one part of the body? All right, let me ask. How many here would like to be the eyes? All right, quite a number. Because the eyes, as they say, are the window of a man's soul. The eyes express a lot of things. So maybe that's the reason why you like to be the eyes. How many here would like to be ears? Raise your hands. All right. Some people like to be the ears. They want to listen. How many here would like to be the nose? All right. Some people like to be the nose. How many of you would like to be the lips? Raise your hands, please. Nobody would like to be the lips? All right. Quite a number. So we all have our choices. But let me ask you this question. How many of you right now, when I asked this, thought about, I would like to be a kidney? Did anybody think about that? I'd like to be a kidney. Did I, anybody here think, 
Well, if I were to choose what part of the body I would be, I'd like to be the liver. Did anybody think I would like to be the liver? Nobody. You know why? Because it's hidden. The kidney is not seen. It's not obvious. You don't see the liver as well. But you and I know the kidney is very important, right? You will die if your kidney is not functioning well. If your liver is not functioning well, you could also die. They're both very important. So the point here that I'm really trying to drive at is that every believer is important. Every part of the body is important. One of the things that we did together uh, when we went out was we rode this bicycle. They, they also have nice tricycads there, all right? But they're not for um, transporting people from one place to another. It's really for exercise. So one time we were at Shoreline, and there was this bike that could fit nine people. And there were six pedals. So one of the members of uh, our church said, why don't we try this? Let's just have a little fun. Let's ride the bicycle and drive to uh, the shoreline, the harbor. And we were given an hour. We paid, uh, well, our brother uh, paid $50 for that. So we all rode that. And so we were all making our own contribution. There were six pedals and we were all pedaling. So we, we did a little experiment. We asked Pastor June, Pastor June, can you try pedaling just by yourself? We won't pedal together with you. Can, you. can you handle it? Can you manage it? And he actually could. You could see that he was forcing himself. He was really trying very hard. And I said, I just got an illustration. Sometimes it's just the pastor who's doing everything, sometimes, in some churches. I'd like to think that's not true here in our church. Well, yes, a pastor can do everything, perhaps, but even as he does that, it's going to be very difficult. And not only that, most definitely, he will not reach the finish line. He will be tired. And that is why we needed to pitch in. All of us needed to pedal together with Pastor June. And when we did that, it became lighter. We became faster. And we were able to hit the finish line. That's how it goes. Isn't that a wonderful picture of how it should be in the church of Jesus Christ? Each one of us participating, making the load lighter for each other because we're involved in one another's life. Because we are family. Do you know that one of the distinguishing marks that we have, what we should have as Christians, is the love that we have for one another? There is a bond that we have with all believers. Again, though we may come from different countries, we will always have this bond because we have all been placed into the body of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we have been baptized all by one spirit into the body of Christ. John adds that we know that we are in Christ if we have love for one another. One of the things that makes us recognize that we are saved is that we have love for all Christians, regardless of race, color, status in life. And this is what I've observed going from 
country to country that, where we have a presence, where our outreach is there. I've been to Australia, to Hong Kong, Singapore, the United Kingdom, the United States. And you know, whenever I visit our churches in those places, there's just one thing that binds us together. We may not know each other that well because it's only very rarely that I do get to visit them. But you see, the bond just automatically becomes so spontaneous. Why? Because we have the abiding presence of God's Spirit. And that's why we need to treasure every believer in Christ. We need to treasure this community life. We will not grow just as individuals. The growth of every Christian is dependent on whether we are connecting with each other as a community. Ephesians chapter 4 makes that extremely clear for all of us. So again, we studied two things. Our purpose, which is worship, and our relationship, which is saints, the saints of God. And here's a little rabbit trail. Take a look at verse 22. It says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, who, who, what were this? Or who were these people? Those who belong to Caesar's household. They belong to the Roman palace. They were the employees and the soldiers of Caesar, the most powerful person at that time. How did that happen? Remember, where was Paul at this time? He was in prison. Why did they imprison him? So that the Word of God could be imprisoned, but the Word of God was unbound. Paul was able to share the gospel to the praetorian soldiers, those who were assigned to him, those who were chained to him. And these praetorian soldiers shared to their families and shared to their neighbors, shared to the community such that there was a revival that took place all over the Roman Empire in only a span of 30 years the gospel has had spread from the hillsides of Palestine into the whole Roman Empire including the palace of Caesar that tells us the power of the gospel and that is why friends never ever neglect sharing the gospel to people. Again, consider the fact that every person is important. Invest in one life that you can share the gospel to. Are you thinking about somebody right now? Are you thinking about somebody right now that you can share the gospel to? It will change the dynamic of the city. It will change the dynamic of your neighborhood when you begin to really dedicate your mind and your heart to fulfilling the Great Commission. So again, our purpose is worship. Our relationship is with fellow saints. So both things, by the way, are things that we do. Worship is what we give to God. God deserves it. Our relationship with others and how we bless others is again what we do for other people. But we cannot just be giving, we need to be receiving as well. Which brings us to the last point, our daily need, which is the grace of God. Verse 23, 
reads, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, this is not about forgiveness because oftentimes when we talk about grace, we think about, oh, it's forgiveness. But you need to understand they were already forgiven. So this was not forgiveness. So what was this grace that Paul was talking about? This was talking about empowering so that they could live a victorious life. Listen well, we need God daily in our lives. This is what we need as believers. We will never outgrow our need for the gospel. We need the grace of God's forgiveness, but we also need the grace of God's empowering in our lives. Because it is God's grace that causes us to be committed. It is God's grace that causes us to be faithful. It is God's grace that causes us to be forgiving. It is God's grace that causes us to be loving. It is God's grace that causes us to be kind, to be generous, to be patient, and to be trusting. It is God's grace that causes us to be joyful. It is God's grace that causes us to be at peace. And that is why we need the grace of God every single day of our lives every single day I was asked by a pastor pastor how could you discipline yourself in prayer how is it that you pray every day my answer to that pastor was very simple coming from the inner recesses of my heart I simply said this the reason I have I have disciplined in prayer is because I desperately need God in my life. I desperately need God in my life. I need Him so that I could be a good husband to my wife. I need His grace so that I could raise up my children in godly ways. I need Him so that Sunday after Sunday, I could feed you with God's Word. Because the truth of the matter is, I cannot even speak three words in your presence without the grace of God. If not for the grace of God, I would be standing here and my head would be empty. I would not know what to say to you. I would not know what to share. I would not know what to give, how to minister to you, how to bless you. I'm totally empty. I need the grace of God. If I'm able to speak and minister to you in such a way that you are instructed, that you are blessed, that you are convicted, that you are rebuked, that you are encouraged, that you are affirmed, it's not me. It has nothing to do with me. This is all the work of God's grace. And we need His grace. And I pray that, that you understand the significance of the Lord's prayer when it says, give us this day our daily bread. It does not say, give us this day our annual supply of bread, which God could do. But He did not frame it that way. Why did God not frame it that way? He framed it in such a way that we would have a daily dependence on God. That every day we would seek His face because to remain in love with God, which is very important. We need the grace of God. 
how our heart wanders away many times, how our heart at times becomes cold and backslidden, and how many times sometimes we do not think about God, we're thinking about something else. How is it that there are times when, when there are idols that are manufactured in our hearts, Oh, how we need the grace of God to keep us steady, to keep us strong, so that we could stand firm and be bold, so that we could be faithful to our God, so that we could be praying to God, so that we could be worshiping God. Every single day we need Him. And if not for Him, how could we survive this world? This world is becoming darker and darker as the years go by. Tina Carnes, the wife of Pastor Tim Carnes, was sharing to my wife and shared how frustrated she was with what she is seeing around her. Right now in California, marijuana is already legal. Of course, they, they try to rationalize and say, well, it's, it's medical marijuana. And the world is just inching towards complete and absolute darkness. And she said that they were in Disneyland one time, which is supposed to be a family park where you have children. And you had some people there, however, who were taking weed, weeds. They were taking grass, marijuana, in the presence of so many children. Sister Carmen was driving us in the highway, and she said, you know what? I'm constantly scared because since marijuana is now legal in California, you don't know the state of mind of those driving in the freeways. It's really scary, she said. She's saying, I'm always under stress whenever I'm driving. That's why, can you imagine? We were just there for a few weeks. We already saw five major accidents in the highway. I saw one dead person lying on the ground, did not survive. That's the world that you and I are living in. And that's why if you and I are not praying for grace, where do you think you and I will be? Where do you think this church will be? Where do you think this city will be? Where do you think this country will be in the next few years? There needs to be a kind of desperation and a sense of urgency in our hearts because we are in a constant battle. The war never ends for us. It only ends when we die and we are promoted in heaven. But for now, we need to do constant battle. We need to fight the battles of the Lord. And we need God's strength and empowering. Let me share to you the story of the power of grace. The famous blind writer, songwriter, Fanny Crosby, wrote more than 8,000 songs, Christian songs. This fact and other interesting highlights in the life of Miss Crosby were revealed in a book entitled Victorious Christian. Worse be explained that when Fanny was only six weeks old, 
a minor eye inflammation developed. The doctor who treated the case was careless though, and she became totally and permanently blind. Fanny Crosby harbored no bitterness against the physician. In fact, she once said of him, if I could meet him now, I would say thank you, thank you over and over again for making me blind. She felt that her blindness was a gift from God to help her write the hymns that followed or rather that flowed from her pen. And according to those who knew her, Miss Crosby probably would have refused treatment even if it could have assured the restoration of her sight. Worsby concluded by commenting, it was said of another blind hymn writer, George Matheson, that God made him blind so he could see clearly in other ways and become a guide to men. This same tribute could be applied to Fanny Crosby, who triumphed over her handicap and used it to the glory of God. Yes, this talented woman allowed her tragedy to make her better instead of bitter. So as we close this particular book, the book of Philippians, three things that I want you to remember. Number one, live for God's glory. Don't live for anything less than that. That is the ultimate purpose in life. Secondly, treasure every believer because every believer is important to God. Invest even in one life because every life is important to Him. And finally, live in the power of the grace of God. And my prayer is that is how we would sum up our earthly Christian life. Amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Because apart from your grace, we can do nothing. And this morning, Father, we thank you for your presence, your power that accompanied our time together. We pray, however, that nothing will go to waste. We pray that the word that we have heard might not return to you null and void, but that it might accomplish the very purpose by which you have sent it for. I trust, Lord, that you are doing your work by the power of your Holy Spirit even right now. We also thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings, Lord, because we want to use our resources to worship you and to expand and extend your kingdom. So we thank you that we could do that. But at the same time, 
would you be so kind to bless us in return? Not because we're greedy people, but because we want to continue glorifying your holy name in our midst. Lord, whatever has been achieved today, you alone deserve all glory, power, praises, and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.